All right. The message this morning, ladies, is the indispensable value of mothers. You know, um, people boast about houses and cars and how much they paid and whatever it may be, but nothing can compare to moms. They're just, as the title says, indispensable. You can't even put a value um, day in, day out, all the meticulous things, all the uh, monotonous things and all of that. And, uh, and yet God created you, designed you for that purpose, the two highest callings in the world, to be married and to be a mother. Now, the world doesn't tell you that. So you need, and I don't need to tell you that. If you're a young woman, you understand this perfectly. The worldview is a lot different today than it has been in the past. But we're going to see that God has never changed. But these two roles that God um, created the woman for are essential for the continuation not only of the human race, but also for the effect upon society. Every society or nation that has ignored or corrupted these two essential roles... Um, of the woman has decayed from within and paid a great price. Our nation is no exception as we have um, witnessed the rejection of marriage as well as motherhood, evident by the number of people that don't even bother to get married today. They just live together. And the 60 plus million babies that have been aborted since 1973. It's a strike against marriage and um, motherhood. And though the problem is moral, it's a moral problem on the outside as you look at it. The root problem is spiritual from within. People are living as if there is no God and rejecting the perfect revealed will of God for marriage and motherhood that is found in the Bible. So in view of this, I want to talk to you about your influence, mothers, um, that which you have on your children for the good of society. If you really believe three things about God. First, the pattern for mothers was declared by God. If you believe that, then you, have, you make a big difference in society. Second, the pattern for mothers has not changed with God. We're going to see. And thirdly, the pattern for mothers will be blessed by God every time. So let's begin with the pattern for mothers. It was declared by God. This goes back to the book of Genesis. So I'm going to use some different scriptures. Um, in the beginning, the beginning of sin, the beginning of the fall, beginning of everything, beginning of creation. And here the pattern for mothers, um, they are the words of God. So uh, motherhood and marriage and all of this is not an invention of man. The purpose for the creation of the woman was and is to complement the man. In Genesis 2.18, it says, God speaking, these are his words, it's not good the man should be alone. So God made them male and female. These are the only two categories that identify you as a human being. Not your race, not your color, not your nationality, not how you feel or what you want to be. But male and female, those are the only two categories that put you in a distincting class of the human race. That's how God sees you. Then God said, I will make him a helper, 
comparable to him. The rest of 18. One to complete him. One to accompany him. So the woman was created for the man, not as some servant, not as some sex object, as we'll clearly see, but to complete him, that he not be alone. God intended it from the beginning. Now, the plan of God for the woman and the man was and is the institution of marriage, which follows in the chapter, in chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 of Genesis. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. Dissolving the parental temporal authority over the adult children, that breaks your bond. That doesn't mean that you hate your parents. It doesn't mean that you abandon them. You never see them. It means that they no longer have the say-so what time you come in or where you go. There's a breaking of the one home to establish your own. Declaring that new authority and the union between husband and wife. Marriage is the norm. In the scriptures, single life, celibacy is the exception. It's a gift of God that God gives to you in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. So as male and female, you will be attracted by the opposite sex. That indicates that sooner or later, you're probably going to be married. If the other opposite sex doesn't bother you, then you've got the gift of celibacy. It's real simple. But God has designed it. That's the exception. The majority of us will be married. Now, verse 25 says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now remember, this is a whole different time before the fall. They, we can't even imagine how they responded or how they felt while went through their mind because it's a whole different thing. They're declaring their love for each other um, in the trust of marriage. This is the context that he's declaring and establish it for the rest of mankind, even though the fall comes in afterwards. Delighting in one another through sexual union in marriage for life. Now, the privilege God gave the woman was to be the mother of all living by his command and by her name. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply in order to fill the earth and have dominion over all the animals. There's a distinction between human beings and animals. Uh, our society has turned it upside down and they equate animals equal, if not above human beings now. You walk down the mall and you see a nice little carriage and a young mommy and you walk over, you think you're going to see a baby, you see a dog in the carriage. They worship the creature more than the creator, which is blessed forevermore. Um, the fall, again, had not taken place, so animals were not ferocious at this point. Afterwards, they were. But even their thinking process is a little different. But also, Adam gave Eve her name, which means mother of all living. The woman is created with the capacity to conceive. And to carry a child for nine months, resulting in the birth of another human being. That is incredible. The two people can come together. And through the genetic coding and all, everything. And, and, and that child, you know, looks so much like him, like her. And as they grow, you see and you walk, look across the room. And they're standing just like you. And they pick up the phone. Something I can't tell if it's my daughter or her daughter speaking. You know, so much, so influential. 
not only the genetic coding, that is absolute, but the, the mannerisms and the, the actions and all that, that because you are the main example in the home, the state of barrenness is the exception. Uh, sometimes by God's sovereign choosing for his purposes, which, by the way, all the uh, wives of the patriarchs were barren. It was God who intervened, <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then sometimes because of the fall. Some people were born with being infertile and that or different complications. But it's the exception, not the rule. And in the Old Testament, it was thought if you couldn't conceive as a woman, you were looked down thinking that you had this favor with God. If you remember, Hannah was such a woman and uh, Penina kept mocking her and provoking her. God needed a man, so he had to get a woman, make her barren, so she could plead to him and give him back to him. The purposes were far greater than just having a son. A nation was at risk. Wow. Susanna Wesley, a wife of a pastor and mother of 1919, had gone down in history, at least in Christian history, as the ideal mother despite her poverty and her sickness and disappointments, and she managed her house well. Uh, we've gone through the specific list, how she ran her home, an incredible thing. But so influential was he that John Wesley was in college. Um, he wrote to her and asked her what books to read, and her advice was, of course, the Bible and godly books and stuff like that. And Wesley was so influenced that uh, through his methodical study of the Word of God, uh, he was the one that uh, really is responsible for the Methodist Church from his methodical way of teaching and, and studying. Um, and just one, one young man, and the mother played such a, a big role. And he's not the only one. There are many men in history as well as women who have been influenced tremendously for the good of a nation, for the kingdom of God. Uh, the woman's design is magnified by her ability to conceive. If you stop and think about it, as we mentioned it earlier, um, that a child can live there for nine months and then be born and both of them live. And so perfectly formed. It's just the little fingers. That If you gentlemen were there when your children were born, it's an amazing thing. It's just how God has enabled us to be part of that. And again, the genetic coding, the combination of both father and mother, and even sometimes, you know, down the road, the genetic coding of three ancestors back, and they look more like them, and I kind of nothing like you to an extent. And you just figure, where's this come from? And you look at some pictures, three generations, whoa, look at his mug. And it's just down the road. The ability of the woman to complete a man or be his helper comparable for him is solidified through the joyous celebration of the birth of these children in marriage. The two producing that child, drawing them closer together, our son, our daughter, the two into one. Uh, it's an amazing thing, and God purposed that. God designed that. It draws you closer together. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward or his reward. 
It's a blessing from God. The distinctive differences of the woman from the man has prepared her for the institution of marriage and her commitment to nurture, to care for, to shape her children in the ways of the Lord. Uh, God has created us so different as male and female. Uh, intellectually, the way we think, the way we view things, emotionally, everything else. Uh, but, but it's not a negative. Today, the worldview, if you young ladies and young men go to universities, you know what they teach you. They pit the sexes together. They compare them whether they're equal or not. Totally wrong. God said a male and a female are completions. It's not good that man should be alone. It's not a contrast. It's not a competition. It's a completion of what God had in store all along. Proverbs 31, 28 through 30 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, mommies, one day they will rise up and call you blessed. Between now and then, they'll call you many other things. Okay, so you take that by faith. And one day they will come back and they say, Mom, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you, you dad also. Thank you for your steadfastness, your example, your teaching, your uncompromising spirit. And if they never come back and say that, you did an obedience to the Lord and you were not part of the pollution of your children. You stood as a lighthouse against it with all your love, warning them and telling them the grace of God is sufficient for them. That's important. Very important. So the pattern for mothers is declared by God. So it's not my idea. It's not man's idea or anybody else's. God declared from the beginning. Book of Genesis. Now, let's fast forward. We go to the New Testament in Titus chapter 2. Verse 3 through 5, those three verses. And here we see the pattern for mothers that it hasn't changed, listen, with God. From Genesis to Titus, listen carefully, it's 4,000 years. God hasn't changed, we're going to see. Now from Titus to us, it's 2,000 years. If God didn't change from Genesis to Titus 4,000 years, what makes you think that God has changed his mind between Titus to now? And only half the time. <laughs> you need to keep that in mind. Notice in Titus 2, verse 3 through 5. And this is tied to chapter 2, 1 and to verse 3 as he's speaking. Now, the older women were to be examples like the men, reverent in behavior, he says first. This was um, Titus' responsibility to teach um, in the church. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, helpful. We get our word hygiene from it, that which is good. He stands in sharp contrast to those who were just professing to know God in chapter 1, verse 16, and their works denying it. There's a lot of people say they're Christians, but do you look at their life, you'll find out they're Christians. Simple, okay? You're always going to have people that say they're Christians, 
But the way you know they're Christians is if they line up with Scripture, their life reflects the Scriptures. Okay? There's a lot of redefinition of Christianity, the church, and what a Christian is today by the emergent church, the total corruption. You need to line it up with the Word of God. Now, the attitude and behavior of the woman is to be one. Okay? Once again. So there's no duplicity, right? Your children know you better than anybody else. Now, they know you're not perfect. But they know if you love God and if you love them. Absolutely, by what you do, how you live. The word um, reverent is a compound word. It means temple, inappropriate or fitting. The word behavior deals with demeanor, deportment, including dress. So the word combine means to deem oneself as a priestess in discharge of her duties in the holy things of God. To be a loving wife and to be a loving mother. Two highest callings you have, ladies. Your highest calling is not a profession. Your highest calling is to be a wife and a mother, according to God. Now, you're not going to get that from the world. You're not going to get it from your professors. You may not even get it from your parents if they're not Christian. That doesn't mean that you cannot study. That doesn't mean... My, my daughter, you know, went and prepared herself on all that. And she became a mom and she's home. And they told her at first, oh, you're going you're to be back. You're just going to have it just for the kids. No. Doesn't make sense to them. Right? Notice in verse 3, the older women. They were not to be slanders, not to be given too much wine. Um, the word slander literally means devils. If you know Spanish, it's the word diablos. <laughs> That's the word in the Greek. Characterizing the sin of Satan, slanderous and accusing God. There's a rebellion in heaven. The sin is evident in both male and female. But ladies seem to have a little handle on it, a little more. You know, when you have uh, birthday parties for your sons and your daughters... Boys push around their loud, isn't that? But women, little girls, they're catty, aren't they? You get two girls, you have a great time. Add a third, it's all over. <laughs> it's all over. With the sin nature, it magnifies it. Because it, we turn inward. And so the model, the example, the prayers of the mother who is following God is so important. Because one of these days, somebody's going to marry that young girl. Either she's going to be an asset to that man or a liability. One day, some woman is going to marry that young man. He will be either a protector or a weight to her. One of the two. And the home is so important. Certainly, I'm not... Ignoring the self-will of a young person, they can rebel and not follow God. That's always the case. But the focus is on the example at home by the mothers. Um, Proverbs deals much with the mouth, with the slander. You can't miss it all throughout. James um, speaks about the tongue. 
in um, every chapter of his book and he dedicates the third chapter completely to it as we um, control and train these huge animals to do tricks but this little beast between the ivory cage uh, it, it can't be tamed the sin of slander is one of the most treacherous and heartless sins that goes on in the world let alone in the church first because it is false second because it is done secretly behind a person's back and thirdly because it destroys the reputation of a person putting them in an unfavorable light before others and the motive behind it is either revenge or envy or jealousy again it comes back to self because of the fall look at the word given there it means to be a slave or in bondage in the context is wine the effect of alcohol and we don't need to say much but it clouds the mind it lowers the morals the scriptures are full of example but more than that most of us understand what it is to be drunk at one time or another if we were saved out of the world. Nothing ever good came out of my life with that. Nothing at all. You have Noah. You have Nadab and Abihu, the sons of the priests. How about David? And so I don't know how the emergent church gets around all the prohibitions against that and the warnings against that when pastors have their beer bashes with their elders in the emergent church. And they don't see any problem with it. Really? Okay. Let's see you in five years. If it takes that long. Peter uses um, the word to describe a person brought into bondage under anything in Second Peter 2.19. And the condition of the Galatians in Galatians 4.3. That they were in bondage too. We, um, everybody wants to say it's a disease today. Well, let me ask you, how did you get it? Did you walk by a bar and did it come out and grab you by the neck and wrestle you down and go down your throat? It's not a disease. Neither are drugs. You've got a disease because of alcohol and because of drugs, but the drinking and the taking drugs, it's not a disease. It brings diseases. But again, it's all this politically correctness and all this indoctrination. So you have to think, young people. No one ever grew up saying, you know, I'm going to grow up to be an alcoholic. That's my goal. But here you have 30 years later, there they are. It's a tragic situation. And so here for the ladies who are at home with their children, uh, a very wise counsel. Notice uh, in verse 3 still, the older women were to be teachers of good things to the young women. So what is going on here is things that are positive, things that are beneficial for not only the children, but the home and also the extension and the carryover to society. Um, the phrase um, for teachers of good things is made up of two words. The first describes the quality, beautiful, excellent, precious, suitable, commendable. Why, why would anybody be against something like that? The second is to teach. So the older women were to teach the younger women these things as a mark of excellence and commendable for life. Because you want people to have a good life. You want people to enjoy life. You want people to enjoy the relationship. I mean, bad enough, we have sin nature, and that's a big problem. But in the Lord, 
we can go over these things. We can miss these things, if you will. We can bypass them by making the right choices and depending on the Lord. This in no way contradicts the command of Timothy that a woman was not to have authority over a man in 1 Timothy 2.12. Timothy there was referring to a woman in a pastoral role of leadership from the pulpit. Right here, Titus is referring to informal teaching by the word and example through older women to younger women. We have that here in the church. Many of you ladies call up and you want to sit down, you have some things you want to talk about. The majority of the time, we hand you over to the ladies. The ladies who have um, been married for years, they've raised children. They've been in the ministry for all these years with us. And they can minister to you and help you in many ways far better than we can. They know exactly where you're at. And so it's great to see, you know, years ago, and it wasn't that long ago, you had the mother, the father, the grandparents, the uncle, the nephews, all of that. And and, and all of that played into the discipline and guidance and shaping of the children. You know, the mom and dad said, Johnny, don't do that. Then he's in the backyard doing it, and the uncle said, hey, do you hear your mom? All that is necessary. A lot of that is lacking today. So the majority of shaping and molding comes through Certainly, the world of academics and the universities, which teaches no morals at all. The television, the magazines. Have you noticed TV? Adults are a bunch of brain-dead people. They're idiots. It's the kids that have all the wisdom, right? It's not only taught, but it's reinforced. But it's not reality. It's not reality. And therefore, when young people get married with a false sense of a worldview that is not real, and they encounter these problems, it is devastation. Because where do you go from there? And so, God is so good to pass these instructions to us. Notice the older women were to adorn or admonish the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Now, you would say, well, you don't have to tell you. You do have to do that. Because life gets ugly sometimes. The priority is their husband. Notice that. Once again, the word that is a henna clause, meaning a purpose clause, in order that the women um, be taught these things, uh, older women to the younger women. The act of admonishing speaks of to restore one to her senses, to make them of a sound mind. You see, the younger women are those recently married, having a high expectation of themselves and their husbands in marriage. And feeling the sense of failure or inadequacy caused them to lose heart. Therefore, the older women come alongside to communicate, Honey, it's all right. It's normal what you're going through. This is real life. You see? The family does that. The older women in the church. Because you go to your friends, they say, Drop that sucker like a bad habit. You don't need him. You need godly counsel. You need to hear, this is normal. And God is able to take care of that. Everybody bails, everybody dumps everything. Their careers, their marriages, even their churches. It's a carryover from their worldview. And it's destructive. It brings them back to a sound mind. 
The phrase to love their husbands means to be fond of one's own husband. Literally, a man lover, her husband. You see? Paul didn't use the word eros here for sexual love as a priority. The women were to encourage them in phileo, emotional, familiar, compatible love of friendship. Because that's the most important thing as husband and wife. If you don't have a friendship where you appreciate one another and you value one another, then nothing's going to hold you. Sex is not going to hold you. Well, for a while, then you'll be looking for a new model. That's the sinful nature of man. The practical outgrowth of that love is love their children in verse 4 still. Husbands, teach them to love their husbands and their children. Once again, it uses the word phileo as the, um, the uh, main root here. Um, literally, you know, children lovers, friends, emotions are involved. But along that, you're nurturing, you're cultivating with objective truth and God's word. Little ones, your children, they mold and they shape according to your words, your example, all that goes on. Young moms need older women to come alongside to admonish them, bring them back to their right minds regarding their children because they have never had children before. I mean, when you bring the first child home, you don't know what you're doing. Are you kidding? But there was a time when mom said, look, do this, do that, or grandma or aunt. No, they were there. Today, many young women don't have that. So what happens the older women in the church step in. They give advice. They pray for the young women. Lord, so good. Children can... Um, Wear young moms down as they care for them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Fernando's wife, Veronica. I'm amazed. He has his own tribe, his own church. Amazing. I mentioned Susanna Wesley, 19. Amazing. Some children are compliant. Others are very, very difficult. Some are um, mellow. Others are Tasmanian devils. Some are mommy's little helper. Others are Dr. Destructos. Uh, it's always comical when you hear people say, my kid's never going to do that. Oh, Lord, humble them, humble them. <laughs> You know they don't have children. They know nothing about it. The older women were to teach the younger women the virtues of domestic life, which means that that which really is of the greater value, how to conduct themselves. Again, the context is the home. They seem to come by pairs. It says to be discreet. This is the same word as um, the older men uh, that was used for them in verse 2. And discreet means to be serious, earnest, and prudent, having self-control. 
That's important because your children are watching you, mommy, and it is hard to lose. I think, I, I, I think of my daughter. My daughter just, she never stops. She never stops. Especially if you homeschool, that's a big bulk of your day. And you've got other things, but you've got to live by priorities. You've got to let some things go to take care of the most important things, right? And you have to make those decisions every day. And it frustrates you. It drives you crazy sometimes. And if you don't have the Lord or older women to pray or to direct you and guide you, you will lose your mind. The word is found two other times in the New Testament in this form. Temperate in 1 Timothy 3, 2 and sober mind in Titus 1, 8. To be chaste means to be pure. Pure from carnality, chaste, modest, uh, from every fault. Uh, um, it complements the word discreet. They go in pairs. The young women were to keep themselves morally pure to their husbands. That's the context here. Having abandoned all others. This, this deals with faithfulness. The outward conduct. Faithfulness. The young women were to keep themselves ethically pure, not giving any appearance or opportunity for their flesh or the devil. This is loyalty from within. Many people are faithful but not loyal. But if you're loyal, you'll be faithful because loyalty is from within. There's a big difference. Then he says to be homemakers. Now, 4,000 years, it hasn't changed. All right? This is where a lot of women get tweaked here in the church. I didn't make this. I didn't write this. It means domestic housewife, workers at home, keepers at home, or stayers at home, as translated in classical Greek, and it's found this time alone in all of the New Testament. First, Second Timothy and Titus are pastoral epistles. How to run the church of God. Very important. This is protection for a woman. Not having to put herself out of the covering of her husband to ungodly men who do not embrace her values. This is protection for the husband knowing that his wife is not being exposed to all the worldly views. An influence that can corrupt and undermine their home. This is protection for the children as they have their mom at home to care for them and model God's order for the family as it's taught throughout the word. Then he says to be good means kind, benevolent. Taking with the preceding virtue homemakers, it would indicate a lack of irrit irritability in light of the nagging demands of mundane and routine household duties every day, making breakfast, making the beds, washing the clothes, cleaning the windows, vacuuming, sewing. Day in, day out, never stopping. It's an amazing thing, ladies. You guys are just there's no one like you. No one can replace you. Nobody has anything over you <laughs> at all. The tendency is to become indifferent, lethargic, or even resentful or bitter. 
because the world says that you're getting ripped off, you're being left behind, you're missing something. Yeah, yeah, you're missing something, you're missing pain, heartache, and destruction. Those are the things you're missing. Wow. Then he says to be obedient to their own husbands. This freaks women out because of the um, women's lib. But if you know the context and you know God's word, you know that um, this word does not mean as some kind of dictator. The word is hupatasso. It's a military term that is used for one who lines himself under the authority of one who has greater office than him. It has nothing to do with inferiority. It has nothing to do with superiority. It has nothing to do with any contrast. It just means that someone has to give the orders. Someone carries them out. And we all wear different hats as husbands and wives. But the order is because of creation. Adam was created first as the head. The woman is his completion. Inferiority is never in the mind of God or in any of the scriptures. And this is not as a dictator or a despot to just command and that you're your husband's slave and not just, you know, a maid and a sex object. That's not what it's about. Yet the world is so quick to say that and throw it in your face. It shows me they don't know anything about the Bible at all. At all. The obedience is a type of obedience and humility as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. The church submits to him knowing that he knows what's best. And yet, the majority of the church has suffered throughout history. But they've committed to him as a faithful creator in their sufferings. As they are an example of Christ to the world around that is so dark and so lost. Now, a woman should never submit herself to any or every man. You ladies are to submit yourself to your husband and no one else. So when we deal with ladies in the ministry, we always deal with them with their husband's knowledge, never apart from their husbands, especially if they're non-believing husbands. We always ask them, will your husband come in with you if we did that? Very rarely do we have to do that, but we never usurp authority. Even if, you, if you're here today, you're a husband who's not a Christian, we would never oppose your, your, your authority or anything. We might want to make sure you're there with your wife because God makes it very, very clear. Okay? Now, notice the reason for all this teaching by the older women is that the word of God be not blasphemed. There's the benefit that you get here on the horizontal level, but the main thing is that vertical level that God's word is not blasphemed. In other words, that we say one thing and we're living another. Then God's word is blasphemed. The word blasphemy means to speak reproachfully or to revile. First uh, Timothy 5.14 says, Therefore I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage the home, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Whenever people declare they are Christians and do not live up to their claim, this is what happens. God is blasphemed, even as David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan says, you have caused the enemies of God to blaspheme God. How often have you heard, yeah, Ben, they say they're Christians. 
By the way, you know what the newest craze is right now? Women leaving their husbands. That's the latest craze. Amazing. So the educators and the world media have done a good job from their perspective. Whenever people or whenever women do not live up to their claim to be Christ-like towards their husband, their husbands are mocked, their children are mocked, God is mocked, everything. There was a lady named Ada Take. Uh, true to her name, she um, took liberty and license to anything and everything. She um, died a confirmed drunkard, and altogether she had 700 descendants. Among them were 100 children born out of wedlock, 181 women of the street, 142 beggars, 46 workhouse inmates, and 76 criminals. The woman cost the country an estimated 1,200,000. That's back then. Today it's about 10 million. One person. Now the money is not the important thing. It's the destroyed lives. What if this woman would have been godly? What a different influence she would have given to those around her. How different her life and theirs would have been. Mothers, you have um, very few years to influence your children. I've told you often that they sleep a third of their life, some a little more. The other third they spend in some form of institution, educational, hopefully not correctional. And then that leaves you with six years out of 18. You have six years to mold and shape your son or daughter. If you're not there, 36,000 hours are poured into them by someone else. That's why today's society, children have very little relationship to their parents' characteristics and all. Because they're raised by society, remember? Hillary said it takes a village to raise a child. It's an indoctrination. It's an ideology that destroys God's word, his purposes. Proverbs um, 30 verse 11 says, There is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother. I can't even, as bad as I was, I could never disrespect my parents. To the very day today, when I see people that are still alive, and there's a few of them, I can't call them, hey, Joe, how you doing? I say, hi, Mr. Hernandez, or whatever. I can't say Joe. I have to say Mr. Hernandez. And I was bad. It's a whole different mindset. Respecting the elderly, protecting the elderly. Opening the door for a lady. Walk down the street, make sure she's inside the sidewalk. You're on the curb. All those things that you teach your children. They hear it and they see it. Very important. Mothers, your children are either going to learn all the important values and priorities for life from your example and instruction at home or someone else. And yet you do so in obedience to God because 
you can be the best example and teacher and yet they can still rebel against God. They have a free will. But you do what you do because you know you love God and you're doing it to please God. And you're praying your children walk with God. But if you don't do it, then you are part of the problem of your children's life of destruction and sin. If my children are going to stray, they will do it with their father warning them, praying and crying for them until the last breath that I take. But you're to be an ever-fixed light. A lighthouse doesn't move around. Winter, summer, spring, storms, that tower is there for the ships to get in trouble. You, ladies and gentlemen, are to be that lighthouse. Mommies, you're one of the brightest lights in the world. The brightest lights in the world. A child left to himself brings his mother shame, Proverbs twenty nine fifteen says. Mothers, will your daughters be influenced and desire to be homekeepers because of you and your example? Or will they sacrifice their families? There's a scary scripture in Ezekiel sixteen forty four. It says, um, indeed, everyone, and he's talking to Judah, Everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you, like mother, like daughter. We, we have a great influence over our children, ladies. You, most of all, you spend a greater time with them. You see these big old football players? They don't get in front of the camera and say, Hi, Dad! They say, Hi, Mom! There's a connection. There's a reason for it. Doesn't mean they don't love their dad. But there's a big difference between a mom and a dad. The pattern for mothers has not changed with God in 6,000 years. Why would we want to change it now in the church? Notice thirdly, the pattern for mothers will be blessed by God. This is absolute. The practice is proclaimed in the law and throughout the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. And if you're familiar with that, the motive is for the love of God, as I said earlier, with all my heart, mind, and soul, in verse 4 through 5. So we do what we do as parents, especially as moms, because you love the Lord and you know the word of God called you to do that and he enables you. The Lord gave the command that they would be diligent to teach their children when they sat in their house, when they walked around the way, when they lied down, when they rose up in verse 6 and 7. In other words, in your home, there should be such a different environment. The minute you open that front door, it should change. It's different as night and day. In your house, you have the environment of the Lord. There's a godliness. There's an understanding. And that prepares you to walk out that front door and to deal with the darkness and the opposition that's out there in the world. And it's there. You can't escape it. God doesn't call us to be isolated. He calls us to be insulated. They were to bind the word of God in their hand, close to their heart, and their front and before their eyes, the phylacteries the Pharisees try to use to demonstrate their spirituality, to transform the heart and the mind in verse 8. The word of God. They were to write them on their doorposts, their houses, their gates, 
the authority for the cursings and blessings in verse 9. The Loma Susa is right there by the door of the Jewish homes. They still do it today if they're orthodox. The picture is exemplified in the virtuous woman. In Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, the description is not an ideal, by the way. The description is not there to frustrate you or to condemn you. It's there to show you what God can do in you and through you. In spite of our human weaknesses, and nobody's asking for a perfect woman or a perfect man. And your children understand that. But they know if you love them, and they know if you love God. The description is that of loving, caring, commitment as a wife and a mother. And um, it's an amazing thing that you ladies do. There isn't any, anything, anyone that can be compared to you. Again, the authority is God's word in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction that the man of God and the woman of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So if you want to be a godly woman or a man, then the source is the word of God. If you go to the world, they're going to give you just the opposite. They're going to give you exactly what you want for yourself rather than what God says is best for you. The standard for God's people has not changed then for the order of the home, for the oversight, for the catering. Uh, a keeper at home is the word that is used here. It is impossible for you to have it all. Nobody can have it all. And those who do end up falling apart and ending up with nothing. Just crumbs. They end up with crumbs. William um, Gladstone, in announcing the death of Princess Alice of the House of Commons, told a touching story. The little daughter of the princess had, um, was seriously ill with um, diphtheria. The doctors told the princess not to kiss her little daughter. It would endanger her if she breathed in her breath. Once when the child was struggling to breathe, the mother forgetting her entire emotions were wrapped in her. And she grabbed her in her arms. And the child says, without even thinking about, Mama, kiss me. And without thinking, the mother kissed the little girl. And she got diphtheria. And some days after died. The love of a mother. No greater love has any man or woman to lay down his life for someone else. And there is such a, a passion in the heart of a mother for her children. Like no other. It's amazing. Mothers, your manual for marriage and motherhood is the Bible. The power of the Holy Spirit, prayer, and obedience. Not the philosophy of the world. I've been around for about 43 years, walking with God since I was 23. I've seen plenty of marriages and families destroyed 
um, before coming to Christ because of you fill in the blank. And I've seen uh, many families be restored and just blossom the last 43 years. But I've also seen a lot of Christian families be destroyed just like the world. And it always goes back to choices, whether you really believe the Word of God or not. Um, the daily sacrifice and great pain, sometimes you may think, is not worth it. And that's why walking with God and having godly people around you is important. But the reward of knowing that you've done the will of God and that you are preparing your children to be the instruments of God is beyond any compensation by the world. Because you know if your children walk with God, they're going to have a good life. Life will have its problems. We live in a sinful world. But they have the way for solutions. God. You single mothers who have to work. We pray for you. That God give you wisdom and strength in your difficult situation. Others of you who have husbands who don't have to work, you have to ask the Lord. You make the decisions, not us. All I can do is give you the word of God, what it says. 6,000 years, it hasn't changed. 4,000 from the old to the new. Still the same. Mothers who have counted the cost and sacrificed many of the extras that they could have had know that their children are far better off and more fulfilled in life. Again, you can be godly and your children can walk away and mess up their life. But you remain praying for them. You remain consistent because Sooner or later, they're going to hit the bottom. And they'll be looking for that light. Ladies, if God has called you, He has also enabled you. God never calls anyone to be something without enabling them. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Philippians 3, or Ephesians 3, 19 through 20. Unto Him for everything. This is a principle for husbands, for wives, for sons, for daughters, for everything. The vertical. The vertical, the most important. And so the pattern for mothers will be blessed by God because He honors His word above His name. So ladies, your influence to your children will benefit society. If you believe the pattern for mothers was declared by God. If you believe the pattern for mothers has not changed with God. And if you believe the pattern for mothers will be blessed by God. It comes down to you believe the word of God. I pray you do. And... You know, as I see through the years, and thank you for having me as your pastor all these years. I know some of you think that I just stay up all weekend to see how I can make you miserable, but I really don't. I really don't. 
I just try to work methodically through the scriptures. And I, these kind of messages, I hate. I'd rather just teach verse by verse. That way we're just in context. But necessary things happen, so we just step off from the regular teaching and we do these kind of things. They're still beneficial. But um, if it wasn't for the Word of God, ladies and gentlemen, I would not be here. I, I would not be here. Neither would you. And so I pray that you um, yield your life to the Lord and you be an asset. Um, because your children are watching. They're listening. And so is the world. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. We thank you for your mercy over our life. And we thank you for the women you've given to us, Lord. Godly, faithful mothers and wives. And we thank you for changing us and forgiving us and cleansing us and doing a work that no one else can do. We thank you, Lord. So it causes us to be a light in this community. And as the day gets darker, that you would use us in a greater form than ever before to reach people that are so lost, Lord. We lift this generation to you, Lord. The millennials, many of them are so indoctrinated and so uh, far gone. But, Lord, there's no pit so deep that you're deeper still, as Glory Tim Boone said, Lord. So we trust you for this, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here, or maybe you're over the Internet or the radio, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Right where you sit, you can accept them. If you believe you're a sinner, it's by the grace of God. If you believe Jesus is God who died for your sins, that's the grace of God. And you can call upon Him right now and ask Him to forgive you and to make you born again that you become His child. It's a prayer of faith, believing what God has said about you and that He alone can forgive you and cleanse you and give you a new heart. This is your prayer to Him if you want to be born again. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.